stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick, and this week I'm joined by Zach's chief equity strategist and economist, John Blank, to talk about what's going on in the economy. Are we in a recession? Is one coming? This is our usual topic that I always have John on for. Um, You think it never really gets old, though, and we are in a more interesting time period with the Fed raising those rates. So, John, welcome. Tracy, good to be here again. Yeah, this is uh, a key one, I feel, because we did just have the Fed do the 75 basis points. So that was pretty dramatic, and they seem intent on continuing forward at least somewhat aggressively again in July, depending on the data. And then we'll see in September, because they're going to take a little bit of breather there in August to let everything kind of gel, and then we'll see in September. But all I keep hearing about is some people saying, oh, we're not even going to get to September. We're not going to have raises in September because we're already in a recession and the Fed won't have the guts to continue raising rates in the face of actual, you know, recessionary data that'll be coming in. Um, so what do you make of all this, you know, action going on and what what is happening about a recession? Okay, Tracy, what level is the Fed funds rate at right now? I want to see how much of reality you're aware of. It's at 175. Right, 1.75% on the federal funds rate. What is the 10-year treasury at today? Um, The last I saw was at like 3.3 or thereabouts. 3.3%. Okay, so let's, the end game of all the Fed funds rates will be the 10-year effectively in a proxy. So 3.3%, right? 1.75%. Right. Now, today, this morning, June the 21st, I was on a conference call with Capital Economics, which is a non-US, largely, you know, London, you know, Toronto, Sydney kind of place, and they have 70 economists and they looked into this. So in all countries, not just our own. 81 instances of Fed tightening has happened or something like a Fed tightening in a different country. In those instances where the tightening went up to 200 basis points, but not beyond it, there were no instances of recession. None, period. Right? So wow. 1.75, Tracy, what does that say? Is there a chance we, we can have a recession at this level? Zero. 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 I want to be very strong about this. Zero. There is a unemployment rate of 3.6%. There is no indication in the payrolls that there is a recession, either in the unemployment claims. There is no also in the industrial production or in any of the final sales data. Well, let me just let me just inject real quick there. But what do you say to the people who say, oh, we had negative GDP print in the first quarter and now the Atlanta Fed tracker is showing, you know, flat to possibly negative for the second quarter? Doesn't that mean we're in a recession? Well, this is another point I want to make with people. One of the things that happens when you shut down supply in a COVID pandemic, um, when you shut something down, you stop working 
And you also stop building capital investment and stuff that goes on with building and running anything. You just shut it down. When you open it up again, everybody opens up at the same time and everybody needs the same spare parts to start this or that or the other thing. The other thing that happens when you start up again is you order actually more inventory than you need, right? You restock, right? Right. Right. Yeah. So what happened in the GDP accounts during COVID is someone's called the IVA, the Inventory Valuation Adjustment, IVA. This was a, you know, a rounding error during a normal trend-oriented economy. Typically, I never even paid attention to it. During and after the COVID pandemic, it became extraordinary. Inflation was one of the outcomes because you had prices moving to, you know, I'll pay more for that thing because I want it. I want to stock it or I need it so I don't get caught in in an area where I can't run something. So there was more supply shortages created by all this inflation. And then people just literally built or decumulated lots of inventories to work around supply chain problems, right? Right. So what happened in the first quarter, we had the Omicron thing, which set back a lot of the employment for at least January. And then we also had this wave of people accounting for inventory during that thing that took the GDP growth rate down. So okay. this is what's happening. It's it's part of the you know, we talk about consumer price inflation as one of the elements of a COVID pandemic through the supply surge. We don't actually also focus on inventory and how it plays out. Because when you sell inventory, you have to count it in that GDP account when you sell it. So if you sell it, then you count it. And this is like a LIFO FIFO thing. And, you know, you can get, as you know, in, in company reports, you can get a negative, you know, earnings report because someone had to LIFO or FIFO some kind of adjustment, right? Same thing happens in GDP accounting. It's in the, the but the thing is different is again it, it was extraordinary and it took me a long time to understand to quit ignoring the IBA just because I used to ignore the IBA. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now this gets to the second point is you know back to the funds rate when yeah. in those eighty one instances Tracy. In those 81 instances, when the Fed funds rate went between 200 and 400 basis points, which is, by the way, back to your point on the tenure at 3.3% of the ultimate right now, that is within that range. There was 35% chance of a recession happening in hindsight, one out of three times, right? Okay, yeah. If it gets more than 400 basis points on Fed tightening, which is a possibility because they may well exceed the neutral rate because they want to crank down inflation. So the other thing we need to understand here is there is a very strong case for a recession if the Fed does not get inflation under control because they will go over 400 basis points. They do that, Tracy. Here's the language. There is always a recession. Okay. So zero to 200, there is never a recession. 200 to 435% of the time there is one above 400, there will be a recession in the historic context, right? So that is a different framework than most people like because they want me to tell you what's gonna happen. And since the Fed is data dependent and they're, they're caring mostly about the consumer price inflation rate, both the broad and the core and the PCE and all the other things they're looking at, they will manage the Fed funds rate to whatever they need to do to take inflation down. Okay, yes. I, I definitely agree with that. So that would mean 
the uh, some kind of increase in September is likely still on the table unless we see inflation, you know, start to dramatically drop. Correct. That is the correct language. You spoke perfectly to it, which is they will raise rates unless the CPI definitively shows broad decreases inflation. It won't be category specific. It'll be like, okay. The broad of the core down one and a half because some of the supply chain shortages are working out quicker than we thought. The oil prices are falling. Some of the transportation issues are improving. And therefore, we don't have to move as fast. They right. will do that. But only if the inflation rate does that from the perspective of broad changes, not narrow changes where they can look into it and say, oh, that doesn't really show us slowing the economy down. So still a lot of uncertainty out there. And um, but it sounds like, you know, things aren't as gloomy as a lot of people are portraying or even the stock market is portraying. Well, there's the other thing that I think Edgar Danny correctly drove in. Now, we have a bear market in hand, Tracy, right? Correct. Yes. So and it is entirely possible the second quarter will print a negative GDP number on top of the first one for all the reasons we talked about as well as slowing down and it's entirely possible the third quarter will be somewhat negative but it is entirely okay. possible here that the, the 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 markets are already accounting for a very shallow recession that's already in hand that can be true okay. too, yeah. right we can talk about there not being a recession and i can tell you in hindsight there was one when we talked because the bear market was correctly getting it right right Yes. That's entirely true, too, because it, the other thing to understand here is in that 81 instances of data of Fed tightenings back 60 years, there was no COVID pandemic. The last COVID right. pandemic was 1970, pre, pre the Fed. So yeah. the other thing to understand here is it's entirely possible with what I've already told you that we're already in a recession. It's a very shallow recession that comes off of all these things that are happening and that the market's already already priced it yes because they are for forward looking and there are they already have anticipated over the last several months that you know we could be in one or we will be imminently in one so what right. is that where where does that put the uh stock investor then because well, this has been going on you know 11 of the last 12 weeks the s p 500 has been down and, uh, you know, it's been an unprecedented, horrible start to the year, but maybe they're already pricing all the bad news in. That's it. That's the bull case. Okay. The bull case is, uh, so what happened in late February is the uh, Russians invaded Ukraine, drove up 3% inflation globally from, you know, the higher oil prices that has been with us since then and will not go down until the oil situation resolves itself, which is global. And Fed Chair Powell at that point had a, a profile of a much more moderate uh, tracking of higher uh, Fed funds rates, which are now off the table. He is going aggressively up. And in the data-dependent Fed that saw the CPI cranking up had no other choice but to do that. And it's now doing that. So right. that changed everything. And, uh, you know, the asset allocators got out. The, the recession warriors got out. And frankly, in the mix of all of that is... This call that there already is a recession in it, but it might already be in hand, it might already be shallow, and it might end up being over by the fourth quarter of this year. And that would mean 
that everyone gets a call on recession right and the stock market turns up by the second half of the year. So where do where do I want to be in the stock market then? Is uh, there sectors well, that I wish you want to be in cash until September? <laughs> okay. So you still are thinking to just avoid the volatility that we're still apparently in for a couple more months. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the, tr the technicians and then the people, all these camps out there, you can say, oh, I want to know, you know, what weighting of the camps or how big of the camps or how they dissipate or, dis you know, come together. And really the market's pricing that And until you get some bottoming, which is a process and get out of it on the other side, you know, you're from a long investor perspective, you're best to keep on dollar averaging in. Right. Not get this call right. Keep, I am overweight. I've been never in my people who will look at my strategy for should understand I'm more overweight now than I was last year. I really am because you're really getting good prices. You really should be in stocks and just yeah. regularly go at this. And then if you're trading, just forget it till you get a trend, you know, constructive trend on the back end, the Fed gets out of the way. But is there areas that you feel, um, you know, come September, people should start accumulating in and areas where they should stay away? So, for instance, I've been watching the various retailers because I happen to like that sector and it's been getting killed, obviously, because if we're in a recession or we're going to go into a recession or everyone thinks the consumer is going to pull back on all their spending because of the inflationary pressures, then I don't want to own even the best of the retailers. But they've all sold off pretty sharply. And then even some of the recent earnings reports that we have gotten from some of the retailers are indicating so far it's not that bad with what they're seeing. And some are actually seeing strong results depending on what kind of retail that they're in. So should I still be waiting or should I look for deals in, in a more volatile area like a retailer or should I just stick with, um, you know, the sure thing type fang stocks? Those have sold off big and, you know, they're they're pretty cheap now. Should I just go for them? They've got a lot of cash. You know, what what areas should I be looking at even come September? Well, I, I you know. People understand consumption and retail sales, you know, kind of some some of the same language. When when people put the GDP yeah. together, the reason C and I got separated, I was investment, but it was also interest sensitive, right? So you have okay. business fixed investment and non-residential fixed investment. So those were the interest sensitive. Now within, you know, consumption, obviously one of the somewhat interest sensitive is the autos, right? So I think. In the Fed context, you want to be accurate, you know, staying with things that are not interest sensitive in the retail space is going to work fine. Incomes okay. are, we have very strong workforce, you know, people have a lot of savings and they're done, they're done dealing with this COVID pandemic and they're ready to move. So I think if it's not interest sensitive, you're, it's going to be a surprise to the upside. If it is interest sensitive, that's a different discussion. So, yeah, you mentioned uh, interest sensitive is definitely things like autos, but it could be like home renovations, right? You might have to take out a loan to put in that new kitchen or something. So would that would be a negative for a company like a Home Depot or a Lowe's, right? It may or may not be. I mean, you might decide, well, look, I can't afford to move, so I'll start renovating. Okay. Yeah, that's true. I, I think in the interest sensitive space, you got to be very careful with too much um, 
speculation without you know looking through the references of what people are telling you and you you okay. saw it on a lennar call this morning and you could speak to it now but you were not that bearish after you got off it no it and it was interesting they did give a lot of detail on their various markets and what was happening in each of those and they reminded everybody on the call that even within those markets there's certain communities that are doing better for whatever reason you know location or price point than other communities so it, you have to really drill down but some of the areas where they are seeing slowdown so they're a national home builder lennar ticker len and so there it's a good way to figure out or see kind of what is going on out there with these now 6% mortgage rates. Now this was on their second quarter, which ended at the end of May, but rates jumped into the fives by May. So they have a pretty good indication on like what is happening in each of these markets, but it is so specific on uh, the underlying economies in each of these. So it's not even just the US economy as a whole, it's what is going on in your particular city and what kind of jobs are there even. So for instance, they talked about Raleigh and that's been one of the hottest markets. A lot of tech workers have moved there. The ones who can work from home, uh, you know, they left the Bay Area. They all, a lot of them moved to Raleigh. It's like a sister city, but Apple is opening up that uh, like, you know, second headquarters type place there. That's gonna be a lot of jobs on the tech side. And so they've been booming one of the big, you know, winners in the housing market, at least for all the home builders. But they said that they've seen a significant slowdown here in June in Raleigh um, based on the 6% rates because of layoffs in the tech industry, which aren't even that big yet. But perhaps, you know, some of those working from home who are now living in Raleigh maybe um, have you know, gotten some of these layoffs at some of these fintech companies and whatnot that have started laying off, uh, you know, even like Coinbase and some of those probably had big work from home. Uh, but so they they focused on the tech industry softness in Raleigh, which you wouldn't really think about. But the Bay Area, which is all mostly tech, is not seeing as significant of the slowdown for whatever reason. And um, some of the others, that are also seeing a bigger slowdown. It's tied to, they said, the stock market decline. So Austin and Seattle are both seeing some pretty good weakness here based on stock market declining and also on stock compensation. And I've been tweeting out about the compensation issue only because I was working in Silicon Valley in San Francisco during the dot-com boom and bust. So I saw what happened out there when those startups go under or lay off people, but really when they go under or even the big tech companies, you know, see an 80% drop in the stock price, a lot of compensation at those companies are all based on the stock options. And when those, you know, slide like that, it is a real wealth destruction in that particular town and city and metro area. And so, I think you're starting to see some of that again with this stock market decline, especially in like the recent IPOs and the SPACs and all that. And that's really going to start to hit 
the housing markets because they were using it for their down payment, most likely in these, you know, really hot housing markets. And it gave them an advantage, but that advantage is now gone. So it was really interesting to listen to Lennar. They also said a couple other areas that are just kind of uh, stable. They're not seeing as much of an impact included cities like Indianapolis and Chicago, like Midwest, where we didn't see so huge gains, you know, the home prices, we're not up 40 or 50% year over year, like in some of these other markets. So they're not quite as rate sensitive in those cities. So it's, I feel like the rest of the economy as it slows with these Fed increases is going to be similar to what Lennar was telling us, because it's not going to hit every city the same way. It's going to depend on how diverse, you know, the economy is in those particular cities. And, uh, you know, because even with the Fed trying to slow everything, there's just going to be certain areas that don't slow. So, you know, Dallas uh, was on the list, I believe, of the areas that are not seeing much impact, but they have huge oil and and natural gas, you know, huge energy industry and the jobs there. And now those stocks are still holding up well. So the stock uh, compensation is working in that regard. Same with Houston. I don't think they even mentioned Houston, but I'd be surprised if we see much slowing because what's happening with commodities in in the energy complex. Uh, Same with agriculture. You might not see as much slowing in a city like St. Louis that has Monsanto and Bungie um, or Chicago because of our big food and agriculture industry here. So yeah, I I think it's it's very difficult for, you know, not just the Fed, but even stock investors to kind of figure out what's going on out there and how or what's going to happen as these rates rise. Yeah, you did a good job of basically pointing out if we get 200 to 400 basis points of Fed tightening, which is what the 10 years projecting, um, it's crapshoot. Yeah. It's not like it's right. not going to happen, but it's not like it might be already priced in and it might not be affecting you at all. Right. 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 And that's exactly the way you got to look at it. It's, it's going to be a Fed driven market until we get towards whatever they get to. And as soon as they stop raising it for data dependent reasons, the bull is going to rally like you wouldn't believe it. You're by the way, yeah. you're not going to know that they're not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you. We're going to do another one of these podcasts late after they did that. <laughs> right. Right. For sure. For sure. Um, but what what happens if, say, that CPI starts to drop finally? We don't, you know, what happens when we get that first CPI and it's under eight? Won't we see like a huge rally off of something like that? Yeah, I would think. There'll be plenty yeah. of people who want to cover shorts first. Yeah. We, we've seen some record short, you know, the shorting, when you get 10, 11 weeks down in a row, shorting is getting to be, you know, really easy. So the short covering will be really quick and the short bear rallies out of short covering are going to be fierce all summer. So the other thing to realize is we can get a bull market in a bear rally for two months here because we got sold off so badly. And that right. won't be an indication this is over either. Right. 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 The big for investors sure. will not get in. The short covers will get out, but the big investors will not get in until this whole inflation thing gets put to bed because the Fed gets out. Um, what do you make of the banks here? We've talked about the banks many times on this this podcast when we talked about what the Fed is doing, recessions, all of that. 
And I'm still waiting for the banks to do something, but they just keep getting cheaper. They keep selling off. Is this a real buying opportunity in the banks with these rates rising? Uh, here's that. See, this is the recession problem. It's the rates are making more profits for the banks, but they're the recession idea is creating more loss reserves for the banks, right? Right, right. So the, the, the latter is dominating the former until it doesn't. So again, if you want to buy the banks, it depends on your recession call. If you think they're going into a deep recession, then forget what the, you know, and the Fed does it or what Fed doesn't do. It doesn't matter. You don't want to own the banks at all. They'll go lower. Right. If you think right. this is going to be a shallow recession or not one that affects the banks that much, and they can really get through the Fed funds rate hikes because all their customers are flush with cash. The delinquents are a lot lower. Uh, then you want to buy them. So again, okay. it's it's a story of you thinking about this, and in general, you thinking about this is going to be worthless. So you got to wait till the banks turn around. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Should we be looking at the largest banks still, like a J.P. Morgan or Bank of America? Should we look at? For sure. Uh, For know, sure. Okay. Yeah, okay. I, I think you know if I were just you know look at the end of the day, if you can pick up a J.P. Morgan with a good dividend payment or a really strong read or something in this environment and pick up a dividend payment. Um, and write it out for an income investor, just you know, do it over two, three months, right? Buy a little bit of your JP Morgan in June, a little in July, a little in August, that's probably the way to go. Okay. That sounds like having a good plan is important. Yeah, and also just being really agnostic about how smart you are. I mean, you know, look at it and say, okay, I'm buying JP Morgan, it is cheap. I'm gonna buy a little bit of it in June on the 15th. I'm gonna buy a little bit on the 15th of July and a little bit on the 15th of August. And I do not care what the market's doing on that day. Okay. Now you haven't mentioned at all, you know, the FANG stocks that I mentioned earlier. Um, should investors be diving in here or is that now over? I mean, we have some of them down 50% or more. Yeah, I looked into this. I'm working on some podcasting for YouTube on this whole, uh, you know, style change from large to small to mid, and what happened. And yeah. really, what's interesting is over 25 years, you were way better off holding mid and small cap stocks. Over the last okay. 10 or 12 years, you were not. Profits right. really did accrue to the bigger stocks, and it really was no gain to owning small stocks in that last 10 or 12 years. Over, you got a better rest and a better return profile out of large cap stocks the last 12 years. Now, the question that also remains to be answered here is, in a post-COVID environment where all this internet stuff got a final surge and everybody pulled forward five years of sales, is it now the end, maybe the true end of the 20-year internet bubble, right? And right. these companies are basically over. And I, I again, I don't want to make that call. but the first thing it's going to learn is that going to small caps, if there's a recession, going to not work because they're going to go down even more. But then on the back end, if there is growth in a different environment, then the small caps will and the mid caps may well be the spot of all because, you know, four or five billion dollar market cap companies that have good niches and are well capitalized are maybe the spot to be in. Yeah, the small caps are getting, you know, real battered here as well, along with everything else. 
but it could be a real buying opportunity in some of those is what you're saying. Absolutely. I mean, again, if you buy, you want to buy broad indices and again, you want to have a long horizon and you want to allocate in over multiple months because no one's going to get this right, but the valuations are there for you. And that, again, I, I hate to be bullish when everybody thinks I should be bearish, but that's exactly the advice I should be giving. That's hard to hear for most investors though, because we all base our investing on what has worked for us in the past. And a lot of investors, you know, have entered into the fangs or the fang men stocks in the last, you know, five to eight years. And it's been great. And now they don't want to see it ever end. You know, so it's hard psychologically to think that it has ended. Yeah. And I also don't think there is a visibility to a better trade, you know. Right. Correct. As I've looked into it, I just cannot tell you with any great you know, resonance that I got the next play. I really don't. I mean, I, I think it yeah. could happen. Like, again, it depends on getting a lot of things out of the way, like the Fed and the growth rate and all this stuff. And uh, more or less, I think you build cash till the fall on any of this, because we need to see the play and we need to see the institutional investors get in on it. And then we have to follow them in. So commodities have been running, as you know, for the last 18 months, is that trade over? I'm thinking it is, it just ran too far. I wouldn't certainly be buying energy stocks. We see the distribution going on, everybody's getting out and taking the profits off over the last few weeks. For sure, for sure. And that, been a that's lot just telling you, you, you just gotta understand the institutions are already already booking their profits and forgetting them. They're gonna, the turn is already in for them as far as they're concerned. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't blame anyone taking their profits in this type of market conditions though. <laughs> yeah, take, yeah, exactly. You take your profits out of whatever's working and then go to cash and let this thing play out. I think they're not rotating back in. I think they're just building cash reserves out of their winners. Um, any any other advice? Yeah, I would tell get... you, you know, look, the NASDAQ 100 uh, has been beaten up first and earliest. Big NASDAQ stocks and the NASDAQ 100 in general are probably buys. They turn first, the bottoming process works in a weird ways, and you buy them now. And again, you buy them now because you're hearing 400 terrible stories, and you know you can all send me your 500 terrible stories, and I'll say, yep, I know. That's why I want you to buy them. <laughs> but just okay. buy the big ones, the strong ones, and the good industries. So what does that mean? Is that like Microsoft? Or? Right? Let the NASDAQ yeah. figure it out for you. Buy something in the NASDAQ 100. If they don't, if the index committee doesn't want to stick it in the hundred, you shouldn't be putting it in your portfolio. Okay, that's that's good advice. All right, um, one other thing we didn't discuss: what about cryptocurrencies? What's going to happen there, and well, will that be? I'll tell you my view on cryptocurrencies. I think cryptocurrencies were a complement to Fed money printing. So when there was more Fed, okay. think of it as like a dam. You put up a dam, and you create all this backlog of a, a reservoir of money, right? Yeah. And if any dam goes back as far as the engineers planted, as high as they thought it, and then it goes in surprising ways down ravines and into back bays and other things, right? Right. And I think basically in the in the environment of zero interest rates and massive trillions of Fed liquidity, there was a back bay that was created to to basically you know run up some of the the speculation and collect it in a crypto bay, right? Yeah. So now that the Fed's letting the water go over the dam and lowering the, the whole whole liquidity environment, that back bay gets drained first, right? And it yeah. goes down with the Fed. I think the real 
massive misinterpretation of crypto as it was some kind of competitive alternative to crypto to, to the Fed and and to alternative assets and everything. And in fact, it was yeah. just a back bay that was highly beta correlated to whatever the Fed money printing did. Yeah. Quantitative tightening is the worst environment for any crypto. Water's going right. down. Any speculator will, any leverage, any problems that people overbet on will get bigger and it will drain first. So you would stay out of that. <laughs> yeah, the Based Fed, on what you just said. Unless the Fed does, and, it's, and the Fed is going to, by the way, the Fed is going to somehow tap down rates at some point in time. And when that happens, you might get a crypto rally. Yeah, a lot of people think it's going to happen by the fall. <laughs> on my yeah, Twitter that, feed. That might be, I mean, again, I mean, if the Fed is everything for crypto, then, well, the Fed might get back in the game once they get inflation out of it. Okay, so we'll keep that on the back burner for now, the cryptos. Yeah. Okay. Um, I guess that covers just about everything that's going on right now. <laughs> um, so let me recap some of the tickers we did talk about today. So I did bring up Lennar, and we didn't really talk about investing in Lennar, um, but that fits into the interest-sensitive type of companies right here, and it clearly is. Shares are well down on all the home builders, including Lennar, but I would not be a buyer here. I don't think they've bottomed out, and I would be waiting to see what's going to happen over the next couple of months for sure over the summer in, you know, with the home buyers and all that. We're only at the first stages of the slowdown, I feel, in home buying. Um, but there's Lennar, L-E-N, and Home Depot, we mentioned, Lowe's. Home Depot is HD, Lowe's is L-O-W. Uh, that's on the uh, home renovation side, which, as John pointed out, may do better even in the rising rate environment because you won't want to move. You won't want to give up your 3% mortgage rate, but you still maybe need you know, a new bathroom or a bigger kitchen, or you might add on somehow. So you're going to stay there and you're going to do the renovations. So they may still do better. We talked a bit about the banks uh, in a deep recession. You don't want to buy in a shallow recession. You might want to buy dollar cost average into these. There's the big ones. It's not rocket science to know who those are. JP Morgan is JPM. Bank of America is BAC. And then we talked about the kind of sure thing, FANG stocks. Um, we didn't really mention those, but you know who they are, like Amazon down almost 50% now off its highs. AMZN is the ticker there. Might want to take a look at some of those. Um, and then uh, I guess we just mentioned NASDAQ 100. Well, that's the triple Qs. Doesn't hurt to dollar cost average into some of the indexes. And you... Uh, could take a look at stocks in it because those are the bigger companies that are more likely to survive everything that's going on right now. Because that is a risk, John, isn't it? That you know some of these recent IPOs and the SPACs, they're not going to make it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So those are the ones you know investors might want to get out of, or if you're in one of those IPO ETFs that are out there, you might want to rethink that if you already haven't rethought that and stay on the sidelines. Also, we were seeing almost like a record low number of IPOs and SPACs this year. Not surprising given these this environment. So the um, pipeline is very small at the moment in that area. 
So those are just a few of the stocks we mentioned, but dollar cost averaging may be your friend. I've talked about it before on the podcast. So you want to be sure to subscribe to get all the podcasts because you never know what we might be talking about on here and what stocks and other advice we may give out. So be sure to get us on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on Amazon Music. We're also on SoundCloud, of course. And be sure to get us somewhere. And we'll see you again next week with some more stocks. This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identify I've described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.